Hello, my community. It's late March, and the spring equinox and the time change are flooding our part of the world with light. For our songbirds, it's time to find a mate. And for our domestic chickens, it's laying season. On local farms, egg production is beginning its spring boom. It's time for heaps of pale blue, jade, tan, and cream-colored eggs that fuel spring festival baking. Eggs make for glorious and rich doughs for challah or brioche, and the stiffly beaten whites build old-fashioned angel food cakes and meringues for pavlovas and meringue pies. And local asparagus are ready to cut. Steamed or roasted in olive oil with spring onions, they make for glorious egg dishes with maybe a little goat cheese. All excellent enriching spring foods to see us through the middle of the full spring term at the college and the beginning of spring too. I'm Claire Houle, a writer and instructional designer at the Center for Teaching Excellence at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. This season, I'm following the roots and filaments of teaching practice at the college around the set of skills and experience of learning to learn. What skills do you teach? How do you teach them? How could we connect our teaching for our students and each other? This is Instructional Ecology. Friends, where does one begin with what I've called a dense, dark star of skills and experience that add up to learning to learn? There are so many threads we could pull to follow our way into this network of practice and barrier and solution that endlessly repeat themselves in new ways. So let's start deep. Personally, I love depth. Let's start with a student's ability to think about their own learning and decide fundamentally whether they can learn and grow and change. Let's talk about mindset and the agency it can bring. At an open enrollment college, students have a broad range of experience of academic success. We have high flyers who have experienced great academic growth over time, but may never have had their attention called to their own learning process, a crucial shift into college. We may have adults who've been working in the community for years, but haven't been in a classroom context since their youth and are feeling very rusty. And we serve many others who have tasted defeat and failure in the classroom without the growth that can follow setbacks and they understandably flinch from enduring those experiences again. They may all have trepidation right alongside their aspiration. So when they arrive in our courses, their thinking may be quite fixed. They are certain of the limits of their capacity and their ability to grow. And they may be fixed in doubt that they can, in fact, succeed at what they've set out to do. We can't forget that learning is change, and change is very hard for human beings, even though it's part of our nature. We as faculty and staff know this in our own lives, and yet here we are, asking students constantly to change. Change is our mission, and change is our fate. So our CLL courses engage students in an examination of their own mindset about themselves, and their ability to change and learn. This is a sliding scale between fixed and growth. A fixed mindset is grounded in a belief that intelligence and ability to learn and change are established at birth and never alter throughout life. What you have 
it's what you have. On the other end of the scale, a growth mindset is founded on the belief that time and effort and engagement have the power to change almost anything a person wishes to change in themselves. And what can a growth mindset bring to students? Many benefits. But today, we'll focus on a fundamental benefit a growth mindset can bring, agency. I've had professors around the college tell me that when students have a strong sense of agency in every field of study we offer, their success soars. Students who feel that they can make good choices about their course of study and how they learn have greater success. So we know that mindset can give rise to agency. How on earth can we foster this fundamental personality characteristic? I can honk all day about theory, but that's not why you're here. You'd like me to usher you into a classroom. You would like to know how to do this. I'm with you. Read theory, but always, always arrive at praxis. So join me in conversation with your colleague from the School of STEM. Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Tom McKenna. I teach uh, in the math department uh, here at MTC. I've been a full-time instructor at MTC for about five years, although I, I started the adjunct all the way back in 2006 after I had completed a career uh, in, in the military. And I, I caught the bug to teach uh, because my last tour of duty was at the Naval Academy. Um, and I, I decided uh, that I, I liked it. I, I felt like it was maybe one of my strengths. And so I, I jumped at the opportunity to come to Midlands Tech and, and, and do some teaching. I, I'm a graduate of the University of South Carolina in computer science, uh, and I have a graduate degree in computer science from the Naval Postgraduate School. Tom is currently the COLD for the School of STEM, and he is deeply engaged in the practice of teaching and nurturing essential skills, both in COL and his math classes. You'll listen to him in a minute narrate how teaching COL changed his ideas about teaching. I've heard Tom say that mindset is everything. So let me take him off the leash here. You know, when it comes to mindset, I think one of the great quotes that I always kind of fall back on was was Henry Ford. And and he said something to the effect that whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, either way, you're you're going to be right. And so it, it, it's, a, it's a great quote because it just reinforces the idea that that mindset is where everything begins. You've got to believe that it's possible. And if you don't believe it's possible, then 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 you're really going to fight an uphill battle. Now, you know, with with our types of students with op open enrollment and, you know, that maybe students have not been successful in high school or we bring in older students that have been removed from the academic setting for a while, they often come in with really pretty poor mindsets, negative mindsets. And and so you know, the first thing is to just make them believe that this this is possible. But that's only really where it starts because then you got to you got to do the other half of it and say okay, once once you believe it's possible, then you got to apply some effort. You got to have some grit because the success is not just believing it, it's it's uh, the application of the hard work. As all math professors know, and many non-math teachers feel, many, many people have big math anxiety. That anxiety can torpedo students. Students perceive math classes as daunting, something to be feared. But when they try and find that they can, in fact, succeed at math, a profound shift can occur 
and change their outcomes. And Tom sees a connection between mindset and success in math classes that he's been teaching for decades. You know, what I find the end result, you know, we all look at our end of course surveys and and, and I'll see many comments uh, because of math, especially something to the effect that I didn't believe I could pass this math class or be successful, but I was pleased to discover that that for the first time in my life, it made sense. You know, and so some some very, um, very pointed quotes that I had a negative mindset. I enjoyed some success and now I believe I can do it and nothing will change your mind set more than, than enjoying some success. And so that's, that's where it really begins. It sounds like to me that it's always a dynamic process, right? You know, you, you have a mindset and then you get some input and then that adjusts your mindset. You know, you have to respond. You're constantly responding. How do you see that sort of dynamism playing out? Well, you know, it's the students, first off, have to buy in to this is really decisions that they make, right? I, I fight a lot with external factors, you know, um, you know, life happens to everybody. And so there's a there's a tendency to want to point to failures or, or not being successful at other things. And so it's this this sense of agency, right? That 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 this is really about choices that they make. And and as a math guy, it's it's pretty simple. I just always remind them the the, the most basic equation they're ever going to have to solve is good choices equal good results. Okay, and poor choices equal poor results. And so they. They have got to make the right decisions. Am I going to watch YouTube or am I going to study? Am I going to play video games for hours or am I going to do my math homework? And this, this, you know, ultimately understanding that that their choices um, are what is driving their success and not external factors. Although external factors can certainly have an impact, ultimately it's choice. So, um. Moving from mindset, and you you kind of moved us all the way into agency. Um, how does talk about how you see the correlation between strong student agency and and success? It boils down to who do they believe is responsible for their success. I I, I often you know at, at the end of an exam when it doesn't doesn't go well, a common thing is well I have test anxiety, so I I just always try to emphasize. Just it's so important that that you have got to assume the responsibility, a sense of agency, that your life and the control of of where you go is is based on a succession of choices. Do you get up in the morning or do you sleep in? Do you go to class or do you skip it? And 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 you just go through your day, and it's choice after choice after choice, and and uh, and they got to buy in that this is this is their this is their life. The results are their choices often. Uh, and when we think about agency, it is extremely individual. What works for one student does not work for another in many different senses. And I know that that you um, you thought of it as a very small piece, um, which was to bring in 
a motivating set of pictures from your life when you were a young student. Um, and it turned out that what you thought of is just this nice little small grace note to sort of encourage them actually ended up having quite an impact. If you would, uh, tell me about those two pictures, why you chose them, how you use them, and then how your students received this idea. You know, when I was in college, I mean, mindset and metacognition and all the buzz terms that we have, they they didn't exist, right? And so I, you know, came from a family that, that had, I didn't know anybody that went to college. And so I, I had some serious doubts, but I wanted to be a, a, a Navy pilot. And, and so, and, and I had also worked in a factory. And though I'm I'm proud of working in a factory, I knew at, at a young age that that just is not how I wanted to spend my 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 working life in a factory. So when I went off to college, um, I had two things that, that you know I didn't think of it as as motivators, but it turned out to be powerful. I had a picture of an F-14 that I had on the cork board right in front of me where I sat at my desk and studied. And then hanging on the wall, I had the the metal ring from the top of a 55-gallon steel drum, which was the factory that I worked in. And it turned out to be two really powerful motivators, one very positive, one, you know, a reminder of, you know, the impact of not studying. I won't say it was negative. It's just a reminder of, of I'm at a juncture in my life. I'm going to go, I'm going to go left or I'm going to go right. And so what ended up happening, you know, uh, you know, students pop in and go, hey, let's go out. Let's, let's go out and have a beer. And, you know, and and of course, that's a that seems like a much better choice than studying calculus. But I, I would look at these pictures, the, the picture in, in the in the in the metal ring. And, and I would just remind myself, I go, you know what? That is not going to get me in that cockpit. I've got to get through calculus. I got to get through physics and now is not the time to do that. And 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 it provided a very, very um, tangible source of, of, of motivation for me to continue because I had the bigger picture in mind. You know, it's much bigger than 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 calculus. It was it was just a pathway that I had to navigate to get to the end result. And and I was I was blessed to ultimately I got to do that. I got to fly. And and so much of it was just that extrinsic motivation of, of looking at an image and reminding myself of, of why I was there and forcing me to work when, like all of us, you know, when you didn't really want to do it, but but you did. And so you, you, you told your students this story. You said, hey, you know, I, I know you got to motivate yourselves. These are two things. You know, I chose these two images. And then it turned out that some of your students started doing it. Tell me a little bit about how they kind of took that on board for themselves? That, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, and so in, in the College 101 college success classes that I, that I teach and, and help coordinate, this was such a, a powerful reminder to me that I thought, well, that's the very first class before we get into, into kind of the nitty gritty, the very first assignment I have those students do is, is I said, I want you to find an image or a quote or anything that that would motivate you or or is your source of motivation for coming to college and to be successful and i thought you know the i knew it was important to me but i didn't think most students would kind of have the same buy-in and and i was shocked at how well received this assignment was that students really 
took this to heart. And 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 there were so many pictures of their families, you know, and they go, I just, you know, making my parents proud, or I've got kids that I, I want to provide a better life. And 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 what they would write proved to be very, very powerful. And so I, I think it tapped into that sense that we all have of of you know we get up in the morning and we we need to be looking at a source of motivation what is it that keeps us pressing forward as humans and we're all different and and it and, and it's a huge variety of of quotes and pictures that i would see but very touching they they took it very seriously and and, and often at the end of the course that often is cited as a as a very powerful um Thing because they many of them did like I because I tell them my story about it and so it ends up on their desk or on the wall right in front of them like mine did. I wonder did you did you ever um, uh, ask them about their version of the steel drum ring? Uh, have you ever suggested to them that they think about um, you know saying okay I'm doing this because I don't want to do certain things or because I would like to leave things behind. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of my students, you know, and and it's the nature of tech that we do get get older students in, and so one of the greatest teachers is experience, right? And so I have so many students that, like me, have been involved in jobs or careers that they just this is they just don't see this as a long term place for them, and so I have many engineering students, for example, that, that are working construction or, or something, they go, you know, this is, you know, and of course it's hard work, but they, they just like me, you know, there's no, no shame in, 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 in that kind of work, but, but for them personally, they, they aspire to something more than that. And, and so they too, have, you know, to say it's a negative motivator, but it's, 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 a, it's a, just as important to know what you don't want to do sometimes is what you want to do. And if, if you can, if you have that image or that motivation, hey, it still works. I also hear you doing something I think a lot of really engaged teachers do, which is you model and narrate for the student. You're not just saying, here is a lesson. You're, you're sort of showing them what that looks like. And one of the things I heard you doing is you're sort of modeling the self-talk of the young, you know, here you are, this young student, and you're working really hard on these classes that are really, really challenging for you. But you're saying to yourself, okay, um, I've just had an invitation to go out and do something fun, but I'm got to tell myself consciously to stay at the desk or, wow, this problem set is disgusting and very difficult and I would rather not do it, but... I'm going to continue sitting here until I complete however much because I know my goals. Tell me a little bit about that kind of, how do you model or narrate that kind of self-talk for your students? Again, another great question. So the students look at me now, I'm, I'm, I'm a man in my mid sixties, right? And so um, there's a tendency, I know when I was young and I'd look at an older person that you somehow think that they were always old, right? That they were never young, that they don't understand me because they're old, right? So what I do in every class early on is, is I, I put up a picture of me in college and it often shocks them because I used to be young. I used to have a lot of hair and it was dark and and I was rocking a 70s mustache. And, and so they look at the picture and they 
they kind of look at me and look at the picture and go, dang, you know, that he was young once. And, and, and why do I do that? I, I go, I say, look, you, you look at me as your math instructor and you think, well, gee whiz, he must really be gifted in math. He must really love math. And I tell them, you know, I used to be you. I used to be sitting in that desk. I did not love math. It was hard. You know, I was not particularly gifted in math. Um, all of my success, academic success, was not from from some natural innate ability to do math or or or, or anything. It was from pure hard work. I just I just outworked a lot of my peers, and I've done that my whole life. And so any success I have, yeah, we all are gifted with some level of academic ability, but the difference is going to be your effort. And so I, I would just, I just tell them that, you know, I used to sit there and struggle with, with finding the desire and the motivation to do calculus or, or math, just like you do, you know, and, and if, don't think that you're uniquely um, bored or uniquely disinterested in the subject. Probably everybody in the class, to some degree, is there and doesn't want to be there. And so the the issue isn't whether you like it or not. It is an issue of this is a necessary step on my path to get to where I want to go. And so that self talk of oh this is boring. You got you got to yeah okay it is. Um, it's math, um, and not everybody finds it captivating, just like I didn't. But you persevere. You push through it. You tell yourself, you, you just constantly talk to yourself and remind yourself that this is part of a bigger picture and life is going to be full of things that I don't want to do, but you get up every day and you got to do it. And, and, and students are surprisingly receptive to this because they, the whole time I tell these kinds of, well, certainly this story, they're looking at, at the picture of me that I keep up there. And it, it just starts to make sense to them. They go, yeah, he, he really, it's not the old guy talking to them like a parent. It's, they're, they're viewing it now as somebody that's a peer. It just happens to be a little bit further down the road that's sharing the same experience that they have. And, and so they start to get it that, okay, maybe, maybe it is not just me, that this is, this is a, a common thread for all college students that they that they don't want to do this maybe i'm not cut out to do this but that's the wrong that's the wrong answer you got to you you got to stay on your path if you want to reach the goal you know i hear you bringing so much of your own biography and the biography of others i know that you talk about tom brady and you talk about henry ford there are, you know a lot of people that you you sort of invoke that this, this is how lives work Right. You know, um, and and just now you're telling me that, you know, you're sort of showing them some time travel. You're saying, OK, I'm standing in front of you and you think that I've always been an old guy, you know, because that is, in fact, I feel what uh, young students might believe. But you're also showing a picture of your young self and you're saying, you know, it hasn't always been this way. And I what I hear you doing is you're saying that time brings change. And it is through agency and will that you arrive in places that you feel at the moment are impossible or couldn't happen. But you're sort of, you, you, it's almost like you're kind of giving them a little boost and a leap of faith. Yes. Yes. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's so easy for us that have lived a few years 
to look back and understand it. And we forget what it was like to be 18 or 19 and so uncertain of what do I want to do? Am I capable of doing it? And so just to hear somebody else share that I had the same struggles that you did. And look, here I am. I'm standing in front of you as a math instructor when, you know, I, I just find it hilarious given my my attitude and aptitude. You know, it was it was hard work that got me here. And and you can do it too. I'm I didn't come from privilege. I didn't, you know, my my dad, I didn't know anybody from college. And so whether you have a family history or not of of college, break break the cycle. You can do it. I did it. And I, I was I was certainly nothing unique or special. You you are unique in your own life, but you do something that many people have found their own way of doing. It sounds like that's what you're telling them. Yes. You know, which is it, it will feel unique to you. And yet you are in the company of other people who are also figuring it out. Right. Um, I wonder, um, you were trained, you know, in math. You came here to teach math and then you began to teach the COL courses, which are, you know, which is, which can be quite different. Tell me a little bit about the value that you've found in kind of steeping yourself in, in the teaching of COL. Another great question. So, you know, kind of by definition, anybody that, that teaches a tech, a professor figured out a long time ago, you know, how to be successful. And so I think that we kind of fall into a trap that, that how you become or be a successful student is common sense right? It's obvious how, how to do this. And it, it's not. And teaching a COL course really reminded me, because it forced me to reflect back. Um, and, and it forces everybody that teaches this class on, on what did it take to be successful? And it was very multifaceted. And often, you know, those nuances are not understood by our students. And so what is obvious to us now is not at all obvious to the students. And teaching this course helps remind you, man, there really is a lot of parts, a lot of moving parts to be a successful student, especially if you're coming out of a background where academics was, was maybe really not emphasized or you just didn't you know, have maybe the best um, opportunity to succeed in high school. And so I think this really gives all the professors tools that, you know, that you got to take it back to your classrooms. It's great to have it in, in the COL, but ideally, you know, and that's why everybody would benefit, I think, to a degree from teaching this course, is, is you realize that this is not a stovepipe course. This, this thing, you know, cuts across every discipline, every class. And and you got to figure out ways to to you know to bring it into the class. You know anybody can go teach how to solve an equation. Okay, that doesn't take any unique skill. But I think as a professor, as an instructor, you need you need to find ways to inject some of these other lessons to help make students successful. Because it isn't just can they solve an equation. There's a lot more to it. And and I think the value is that we have to take that that more holistic approach beyond just what are the elements of our, you know, our class that we're teaching. So you, you arrived, you're a seasoned math instructor, you, you know, how you're teaching math, but then you begin to teach COL. So how, 
are your COL courses and your math courses in dialogue? Like what have you kind of, how do they inform one another? How do you make COL skills visible in your math classes? Well, I mean, right off the bat, you know, the, the, you know, as you come up for your first exam, right. And in, in the class, um, it's obvious to me how to study because I've done it all my life, but it's, it's surprising how students really do not know how to study and how you prepare for a math exam is different than how you prepare for a history exam, which is different than how you prepare for English. And so Right off the bat, you know, we talk about effective studying techniques in COL and how to read a college textbook and and how and when you should do homework and and the idea of metacognition. How do you know what you know? Because so many students will walk into an exam thinking they're prepared and 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 fail it miserably. And and why is there that disconnect? You know, and so part of part of our job as an instructor is to close that metacognition gap such that a student can walk into a class or for a test and, and not only feel confident they know it, but know that they know it, that they're prepared. And so, so much of, of my energy, and especially early in the semester before exams, is to have that dialogue about how do you know you're ready? How do you know you understand it? How do you study? You don't you don't work a thousand problems the night before. You know, you're you're at that point you should be focused on concepts, on algorithms, on processes, not not doing individual problems, you know, and, and so um you know, time management. You know, a big topic in COL is time management, and so it's easy to introduce that into your class. How much time are you spending? doing math homework. When do you do your math homework? Um, and, and so that opens up a, you know, a, a really good discussion. And just the importance of, of showing up. Literally, you know, the biggest predictor of success in my classes is whether you are there or not. You know, and, and, and why, why does that matter? You're not, we, we, you know, there's no penalty for not showing up. You can't drop me from the class. But then that that ties into professional skills. You got to show up for your job, right? This isn't just college. We're training you to be a professional, and showing up is 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 a responsibility, you know. And and so anyway, I could go on and on, but but every single aspect of COL, you could tie it back right back into into. And I don't care whether it be math, English, history, pick one. It all it all ties back. And so again, this this provides this holistic. We're not there just to teach the subject matter. We're there to to help these students be successful, and 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 this is every bit as important as is the content. In my in my opinion, it's so eloquently said, Tom. You, you I can see that vision of what. Um, it, it's so clear to me how each individual class can benefit from that kind of integration of skills and that kind of visibility to say this is what, when we talk about studying. This is what I mean. When I talk about showing up to class, this is why it's important. It's important a to your success, and b it is some it is a habit that will work as you are in a professional setting. I wonder, um, thinking about um, to extend that very clear strengthening you've described in individual classes. Uh, how could if all of our courses were informed by COL practices? 
what would that look like? What could that do for our college or our student community or uh, what would happen? Well, uh, our bottom line mission is to help students succeed. And we we provide a lot of resources aimed at helping students succeed. But yet community colleges, not not Midlands Tech in particular, have very, very poor success rates. Okay, and there there are a lot of factors that go into that. There's no simple magic bullet that you can you can look at to fix that. But the question is why. And so you know, like I said before, that that we have to get all of our professors, our instructors, to buy in that the success is much bigger than how to solve an equation, right? Um, that that should happen, but. We, if we take the holistic approach and try to mentor these students and, and, and try to hit all the elements of success, then the impact on MPC, MTC is going to be that, that our success rates improve. You know, and that's, that's the underlying goal. Almost everything that we drive for in all of our meetings is student success, but yet we sometimes um, you know, don't see the forest for the trees, that it's the little things. You know, uh, how to navigate college. I mean, it can be so intimidating to a student, this idea of, of how do I get advised and, you know, what's a registrar and, do I, you know, what's, you know, just all the words that we throw around that are so obvious to us aren't to the students. And so you always, you always have to take a step back. And, and I try in every class, I look for a five minute in the middle of the class topic to bring up to talk about just 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 to get off the the subject for a minute to give them a mental break and and if you took it the if you had made a list of all the useful little things that you could talk about for 5 minutes um that you could inject into the class students do listen and uh and and at the end of the day if if all of those things um become elements of of our teaching across MTCR success rates will improve and that's that's fundamentally why we want all of them to be successful. Not everybody can, not everybody will, but we could do better, I think, than, than probably what we do. I think that that's always a, a wonderful goal is to simply to do better, right? Is to continually more and more and better and better and discovering those new ways. Um, Tom, this has been a great conversation. I'm so glad that that we're connected. Is there anything else that you would like to say about agency or mindset before we? No, I, I just thank, I just appreciate clearly the opportunity to you know to be asked to do this. I'm 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 passionate about it. I I, I teach at Midlands Tech because I I want to teach at Midlands Tech, not because I, I I need a job. And so um and so I'm very passionate about this. I love my students. You know I. I, I try to focus on the success. Um, you know, sometimes you want everybody to be to be successful, and when you lose a few students, you, you start to beat yourself up and, and you blame yourself. Um, but the reality is, not everybody is going to be successful. And if 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 you wake up and you feel like you're making a difference in in, in students' lives, whatever subset that happens to be, then for me, that's a, that's a tremendous motivator, and and I'm just. I just feel privileged to have this opportunity to 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 share my my life and and whatever wisdom I can bring to the classroom to my students. And thank you for the 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 podcast. Again, um 
you know, if this is one of these things five years ago, if somebody said, what's a podcast? None of us probably would have had a clue. And now, you know, and this is the kind of thing you talk about with students, that this technology changes and how we learn is going to change. And, and so this is just another another tool. And thank you for including me. I'm so delighted to. I've, I'm, I, I, uh, I hope that this is the, the first of a lot of good contact that we can work together um, because I share your, uh, I taught for many years and I loved it and I miss the classroom. But uh, so I know very well that that feeling you described, which is, okay, not everyone is being successful at this moment, but I am here and I am offering what I have and I am reaching out and some are reaching back and we meet in the middle and we work together. And that feeling is is really like no other to meet a student who is also reaching out to you. Agency through mindset. How does agency factor into student success in your classes? What activities or steps do you take to call students' attention to their own mindset, to the part their own thinking plays in their learning and success? How do you help them allow themselves to grow and change? We'll return to the deep well of agency again and again as we explore learning to learn this season. I hope you've enjoyed Tom's perspective and methods in our conversation today. If you follow the link in the show notes to the webpage for this episode, you'll see the pictures that Tom used as a young student to motivate himself to survive and pass those math classes that he was daunted by. You'll also find his guidelines for his activity for agency and motivation for students and some other relevant links. You can always reach out to Tom here at the college if you'd like to talk shop with him. He's richly developed his COL and math courses and has many ideas and tested activities for these essential skills our students need. I hope you'll join us next time in quite a different place. Today's episode was a solution, an awareness, a practice that we can offer students. Our next episode will be about a barrier, the barrier of frustration. We old salts have become toughened over the years to this inevitable part of the learning process. We're never surprised when we feel frustration as we learn something new to us. Even if we don't like it, we recognize it and have our personal ways of working with and through it. But for our students, frustration can have a powerful negative impact on short-term success and long-term completion goals. What do we do with student frustration? A better question. How can teaching encompass frustration in learning? Make it visible, grapple with it, give students tools to see it and engage with it and move past it. I'll be talking with Jeremy Gilliam in our Precision Tool Program, who has tremendous insight into how frustration arises and skills to help students develop around this inevitable part of any learning process. That's all for this episode. I hope you'll join us next time further into spring and deeper into the web of our community.